Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here. And this is a message I gave on Sunday morning, February 19th, 2023, from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 6. Okay, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 6. If you'd like to follow along, I'll read it in a few minutes. But first, I have some questions, and these are answer-out-loud questions, okay? So if you, uh, if, if you can find some courage, go ahead and answer out loud if this applies to you. Here's the first one. And I, I, have to, I realized this morning when I was thinking about this, that, and I didn't think of it at all, all week, but all these questions start out sounding like a movie trailer. And so I'm not gonna do the movie trailer voice, but all of them start with, in a world. So, but just forget the, that it sounds like a movie trailer. Here's the question. In a world where like anything can happen at any time, and sometimes everything does happen at the same time, are you the kind of person that would really, really, really like some guarantees? I know I am. I mean, sometimes you're in the middle of that week where it feels like everything happened all at once and I need something that I can actually count on, some kind of certainty, some kind of guarantee because everything is sideways. Okay, here's the next one. Next one's similar to it. In a world that's like overrun with disaster and doom and gloom everywhere you look, are you the type of person that would like to have some safety and security? Absolutely. That's me as well. Third one, here we go. In a world where there are a million different ways that you can compare yourself to everybody else and a million different ways that everybody can measure up, are you the kind of person that would like to know objectively why you matter? I know I am. I know that I have spent so much of my time and so much of my life feeling unsure, feeling unsafe, feeling insecure. And if you've ever felt those things before, you're in good company, at least me, and I heard some other scattered voices in here too. Um, And here's the thing. If you have ever felt unsure, if you've ever felt unsafe, if you've ever felt insecure, there is a really, really critical question you must answer, which is, where do you go to feel safe and secure? And, and sure of who you are and why you matter? That is a really, really good question, and we're gonna get all up into that. Okay, before we do, just a little reminder, in these weeks leading up to Good Friday and Easter through the season of Lent, we are talking about a specific thing in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 22, when Jesus is about to have the Last Supper with his fellows, they're gonna celebrate the Passover together, He tells his guys, go into the city and you're going to see a guy carrying a water jar on his head. Follow that guy. And whatever house he goes into, you go into it. So it's this like old school trade craft espionage situation. And they follow this guy in and he says, and when you go into that house, you're going to find everything set up already for us to celebrate the Passover. It says they found the guy, they followed the guy, they went into the house Really cool statement. It says, they found everything to be just as Jesus said it would be. Really cool statement. And here's the thing. Jesus did a lot of teaching and a lot of preaching about a lot of things. And what you find is, whatever Jesus said, sometimes the most unbelievably insightful things about the human heart, the human condition, all of it. And when you've experienced it and lived it, you find out whatever Jesus said, like in life, it's just like Jesus said it would be. Which, it makes sense that he's super insightful about the human heart because he made it. He invented it. 
You know, if you're going to ask somebody how something works, the manufacturer is of that thing is the most qualified to tell you how it works. So Jesus has all these incredibly insightful things that when he says them and then you live them, you find out that is just like Jesus said it would be. Okay, so today we're going to look at something Jesus said that's incredibly insightful and it's incredibly true and it's about money. Now, before we go any further, I just want to hit pause for a second. I want you to take a beat and ask yourself, like, when you find out that we're going to talk about money today, how do you feel? This is not an answer out loud question. Okay, so this is just a think about it question. All the other ones were answer out loud. I just want you to think about it for a second. Are you the kind of person that when you find out we're going to talk about money in the Bible and Jesus, what did he say about it? Are you like, I'm completely comfortable. I feel great about the way I feel about money. I feel great about the way I handle my money. I'm totally confident. Bring it on. Let's do this. Or are you the kind of person that's like immediately you're like, I'm nervous. I feel a little shameful. I don't know if I really handle my money very well. I don't know how we've done with that. And so I don't know. I'm just kind of nervous about it. Are you the kind of person that gets triggered because Church and money, the way churches have talked about money during your life, you're like, I don't even want to be here anymore. I get that, if that's the way you're feeling right now. Or maybe there's somebody that's sitting out there that's like, Lee, you can go ahead and take a seat. I'll take the mic. I'll handle this one. I got lots of things to say about this. Whatever it is, maybe you're feeling some of those things. Um, the, The truth is that Jesus said a lot of stuff about money, and he said a lot of strong stuff about money. Like one of the most intense things he said to anybody ever was in a story that he was telling about a guy who had, you know, he had done really well for himself. And he thought, I know what I'm going to do is I'm going to pile up all of my money into a gigantic savings account, get this awesome 401k going, this Roth IRA that's going to pay all these dividends. I don't have to pay taxes on it, whatever. And then I'm just going to prop my feet up and enjoy the rest of my life because that sounds like a really great idea to pile up all my stuff. And that's the uh, moment where Jesus said, you fool. And that's the only time Jesus ever said that. And in fact, in the original language, the word that we've translated into fool is much more related to our word for moron, that, our word moron. Like Jesus said, you are a moron. He said, because you don't even know when your life is going to end. By the way, what if it ended tonight? Who's going to get all that stuff you piled up? You ever think about that? No, he didn't because, you know, the, the whole moron piece. But that's like a really, really strong thing Jesus said about money. And another place in Luke chapter 12 a guy says, Jesus, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. And Jesus says, look, look, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, a, a trust fund manager. I'm not doing, I'm not breaking that stuff down for y'all. That's not really what I do. And then he said this thing. He says, and this is a thing that if we're being honest, nobody in this world believes this. Okay. This is what Jesus said. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. Dang. Like that is, that he said some strong, he talked a lot about money, said some strong stuff. I want to show you what he said in Matthew chapter 6. He also says this in Luke chapter 16. When he says this one in Luke chapter 16, it's on the tail end of a story that Jesus tells, a parable that he taught about how people who believe in the Lord should handle their money. And it's a really, really cool story. Basically, the long and short of it is, he says, you should give away your money in such a way that you make friends who will come to know me and then they will welcome you into heaven. They'll be your eternal friends who will welcome you into heaven. That's a really, really cool story. But this is that, and then he says this, but this is in Matthew chapter six, verse 24, okay? 
No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Which, that makes sense. Like, if you have, if you have a boss that you're, like, completely devoted to, you can't have another one who you're also completely devoted to, because if one asks you to do something that's different than the other one, you're going to have to disobey one of them. You can't be devoted to two masters. Everybody agrees with that. But then Jesus takes, he pulls the e-brake, hits a left turn, and makes the whole thing about money. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And as you live that out, I think an honest heart gets to the place where they realize, man, that's exactly as Jesus said it would be. That's exactly as Jesus said it would be. Now, for some of us, you might be in a weird place with this because you're like, hold on, here's my only thing about that is like, I don't serve money. Like, I use money. Like, I earn it and I use it. You know, you buy, you, you know, you buy food, you buy gasoline, you buy, you know, medicine, Netflix. Like, we, you, just, you just earn it and use it. Money is a resource. Money's a resource, it's a, it's a raw material. You, you build other stuff with it. Like money can be used for good and it can be used for evil. I don't serve money, I use it. Money is, what people say a lot is, money's a resource, it's neutral. It's what you do with it that's either good or bad. And here's what I wanna say on that. Mostly, if you're thinking that or have thought that or believe that, I mostly agree with you. Money is a resource. Money is raw material. You build other stuff with it. Use it for other stuff. Money can be used for evil and it can be used for good. Here's where we have the problem. Money is not neutral, y'all. It is not neutral. Money is different than that. Money is not neutral in the way other things in our lives are neutral. The, when the Bible talks, and the Bible talks a lot about money in a bunch of different ways, but the Bible tells us that money is not neutral. In fact, money is alive in ways other things are not alive. You mix money and the human heart. It's different than you, when you mix food in the human heart or music in the human heart or other things in the human heart. Like uh, there's a place in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 where the Apostle Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We're going to take nothing out of it. Okay, so he said, if we have food and clothing, that will be enough. He says, those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a trap. They fall into foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with all kinds of grief. It's not neutral, it's alive. And when he describes the kind of life that money can have when you combine it with the human heart, he didn't describe it like a bloom, like a flower that blooms. Like right now on those warm days, all of a sudden the daffodils started coming up in East Tennessee and it's gorgeous and it's beautiful. You love to see these flowers boom, bloom. He didn't say that money is alive in the way that flowers bloom. He said, no, it's like the underneath part of that plant, the root it's down below the surface where you can't see. It grows and is alive in, in like the unseen places. It sends out tendrils and it's sucking up all the nutrients. It's, it's alive in ways other things are not alive. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher says that whoever wants money never has enough. Whoever wants wealth 
never is satisfied. In other words, not only is money alive in ways other things are not, money is a liar in ways other things are not. Because you just think, if I just had this much, if I just had this much money, then that would be enough. That would be, that would be satisfactory. And, and that really works with like food and stuff like that. You're like, you see some delicious food and you're just like, I really want that food. And then you eat it and you're full. And you're like, that was fantastic. I'm satisfied. I couldn't have another bite. Money ain't that way. When you get it, and you know, look, and I understand this, you guys, but it is super quiet in here today. So... Um, <laughs> I get it, we're talking about money, but let me encourage you on something. If you have experienced anything that you hear today to be true, you ought to let your brothers and sisters know and say, okay, look, because what the teacher says in Ecclesiastes, we'll go through this one more time, is folks who, want, who love money never have enough of it. It doesn't satisfy. It promises you that if you just had this, that would be enough. And then when you get that, you're like, yeah, but if I had a little bit more... Money's a liar in ways other things are not lying to you. Money's alive. Money's a liar. Jesus said a really startling thing about money one time, and that is that money is a potential, potentially, and probably, that money is a lock on the doorway to the kingdom of heaven. He said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to get into heaven, which like when our kids were little, by the way, we used to, um, we always every year bought like the zoo pass for the Knoxville Zoo. And probably some of you parents did that. That was the most bang for your buck if you lived in the Knoxville area and had little kids. Because when everything's melting down at the house and everybody's losing their minds, it's like, you just pile them in the car, let's just go to the zoo. Even if we just go for 30 minutes, go walk around there. But when you got there, you go inside and before you even get to the elephants, they had this big old honking camel. Do you guys remember this? Those of you who've gone to the Knoxville Zoo, Camels are huge, y'all. They're so much bigger than you think they're going to be. And when you stand in front of one, you're like, that's enormous. And i got to be honest with y'all. Um, I really struggle to get thread through the eye of a needle. Like, i got to pull all kinds of, you know, witchcraft just to get a thread through the eye of a needle. I don't know how you're going to get a camel through. Those things are huge. I, I heard our buddy, uh, our missionary that we support, Glenn Fitzgerald, up in Chicago, I heard him talking about this scripture one time uh, that Jesus said it's easier for, to get a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> he, said, he said, I've known a lot of rich dudes who love the Lord, and they hear that verse, and they're like, yeah, 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 grease up the camel. I think I can fit him through there. I'm, I'm going to make this work. We're going to get that camel through that, through that needle. Um, he's not saying it's impossible. But this is a stark warning. It's easier to get a camel through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich person to get into the kingdom. of Why is that? Because, because the whole thing about getting into the kingdom of heaven is you've got to be a person who admits about yourself, I cannot save myself. And one thing that money does is it tells you you've got everything under control. You've got everything you need. You are needless. When you've got enough of it, you're not praying the same way you used to. You're not needy in the same way you used to. And the gospel is for folks who are in desperate need. Money is not neutral. It's a resource. It can be used for evil and good, but it's not neutral. It's alive in ways other things are not. It's a liar in ways other things are not. Potentially and probably, it's a lock on the kingdom of heaven in a way that other things are not. Here's the heartbeat of this thing. This is what Jesus was saying is, you cannot be passive about the way you feel about money in your life and the way, the way you deal with other things in your life. 
The reason you can't be passive is this. Money wants the chair. And you're like, what do you mean? What chair? What What are we talking about? Okay, I'm going to break this down. Hang with me here. In every human heart, yours and mine, there is a chair. There's only room for one. And whoever or whatever sits in that chair gets to call the shots over your will and your decisions in your life. There's always something sitting there. Something or someone sitting in that chair. Sometimes in my life, I have been foolish enough to put myself in that chair. And I don't know if you guys have done this, but it, you know, my experience is if you hand me the keys to my life, I'm running it into a ditch, like almost immediately. I do not belong in that chair. I don't know. There's all kinds of things that people put in the, in the chair, but money wants to sit there. Money wants to control you. It wants to, when you combine money with your heart, something happens and it wants to sit in that chair that gets to call the shots over your will and decision. Now, here's the deal with that chair. Whatever sits in that chair is calling shots, but whatever or whoever, but whatever or whoever sits there also has to be able to answer the most important questions about your life. Are you ready? Here are the questions. What can you guarantee me? What can you promise me? Can you save me? And why do I matter? Whoever sits in the chair or whatever sits in the chair gets to call shots over will and decisions, but also has to be able to answer these questions. Can you make me some promises? Can you save me? And can you tell me why I matter? And here's the deal with money. Money wants to tell you that it can answer all those questions for you. Oh yeah, I got all kinds of guarantees. If you got enough money, you can, get, you can get guaranteed some stuff. There's some stuff that you're going to have that you need to make it through your life, and you can get it on lock. You can, go, you can have that house, and you can have that vacation, and you can have that stuff, whatever it is that makes you feel peaceful and safe and all that stuff. I can guarantee it. If you've got enough of me, you're going to be fine. I can save you. I can save you from things that other people are experiencing that they're afraid of, that, that we can make sure that never happens to you if you have enough. That's what money will tell you. But guys, none of that is certain. Amen? None of it is certain. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen to the interest rate. We don't know what's going to happen if there's going to be a recession. We don't know if the bubble's going to pop. We didn't know a couple years ago if we were going to be able to find toilet paper. We don't know what's going to happen, and money can't answer those questions for you. Can you tell me why I matter? Oh man, money would love to tell you why you matter. Would love to, would love to tell you if you had this, if you had this house or these countertops or whatever it is, or this car, or if you had this in the savings account, you are more or you are better. And that is a lie because you don't get to take any of it with you. And you, my friend, are an eternal creature. You're only here for a little while. And all this stuff, all of this is shakable and will be shaken, and it will be gone. It can't answer the most basic questions about life. What Jesus is talking about here is, um, it's a theological term or it's a biblical term. It's the term idolatry, and that's a big old word. And, you know, it's like when, like when you normally think about what idolatry is, you're thinking about people in the Old Testament that would, you know, carve a statue of a pagan god and then bow down to it and, you know, offer sacrifices and burn incense to it. And that is idolatry, but I'm guessing that none of us do that, I hope. But there's, there is a more subtle danger in idolatry because that's not the only thing idolatry is. Idolatry is just this. 
Whenever you ask anything or anyone to do for you what only God can do for you. Whenever you ask anything or anyone to do for you what only God was intended to be able to do for you. Money will lie to you about all of those questions. And only God can guarantee you that in a world where anything can happen at any time, and sometimes everything does happen at the same time, only God can say to you, I will be with you until the end of the age. You will not go through whatever you go through alone. You will have me with you. You will, ha- you will have wisdom you would not have had otherwise. You will have encouragement that you can't drum up on your own. You will have peace that passes all understanding. I promise you stuff nobody else can promise you. In a world of doom and gloom and disaster, only God can say to you, I will save you from your past. I will save you from yourself. And when this whole world crashes down, I will take you home with me forever. Only God can say that to you. And in a world where there's a million things to compare us to and a million ways to measure up, only God can say to you, you are the apple of my eye. You want to know why you matter? Because I made you. I thought you up. And everything about you that's you, that's not like anybody else, I love that. It's why I made you, you. Your laugh, your pet peeves, your favorites, all the things that make you, you. You are my treasured daughter. You are my precious son. And the blood of Christ was spilled so that we could be together forever, just so I can enjoy being your friend, because that's what makes you matter. Only God can say that stuff to you. Okay, so what do we do? Jesus said, you can't serve them both. They're both after your heart. And they both want to sit in the chair, the chair where you get to call shots over will and decisions, but you got to be able to answer the questions. Here's what you got to do, and I'm going to say two big old fat words, okay? And we're going to break them down. You have to consecrate God, and you have to desecrate your money. Consecrate is a word that means to set aside as holy. This is the thing. This is who, this is who I'm going to put in the chair of my heart. Every human heart has a chair. There's only room for one. I'm putting God in the chair. He is the one who gets to sit in the chair. Desecrate is the opposite of that word. That's where you on purpose intentionally say to your money, you are not holy. You do not get to sit in the chair. And I tell you what to do. How do you like them apples? So how do you do that? Okay, so there's a very tricky and subtle thing that happens. And this has happened to me and Christy so many times in our life, which is every now and then you're on like, you know, you're on like the brink of disaster and you just need some money. And then some money comes in. And all of a sudden when the money comes in, peace flows into your heart. Have you ever felt this, anybody? Like you were struggling and all of a sudden money came in and you were like, we made it. Okay, that is a very particular moment. And in that moment, you have to consecrate God and desecrate money by saying to God, the money didn't save me, you did. You used money to save me in this particular moment. The reason I have peace in my heart, Father, is because you love me and you're good to me. You saved me, my money didn't. That's one way you consecrate God and desecrate money. Here's the most simple way to desecrate money. Are you ready? And this is the part nobody likes, if you're being honest. So I invite you to be honest. You give it away. That's what you do. That's how you desecrate money, is you give it away. 
Um, I want to share a scripture with you guys that's so cool. But first of all, by the way, when you start talking about this, people are like, okay, okay, now here we go. We're talking about the giving away money piece and we're in church. So what do we do? Everybody has to do the, the 10% thing. Is that, is that what the deal is? When people talk about the tithe, you know, I grew up on that whole system. That may be fine. Maybe that's what the Lord is leading you to do is the tithe. You should know that comes from like the Old Testament, the children of Israel, they had basically like an annual income tax. They kept the temple going and the priests and all that stuff. And by the way, they had all kinds of different tithes and stuff that they did. Actually, the, the money they gave away was a whole lot more than 10%, really, to keep all those systems going, all the gifts that they would give to the Lord to manage all of that. In the New Testament, this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that each person should give what they have decided in their own heart to give, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, so that's the bar. Not like this amount of money or this percentage. What God wants is God wants you to be happy about the fact that you gave money away. And you might be sitting there going, that's the most psychotic thing I've ever heard anybody say. <laughs> God wants you to be happy that you gave money away. And by the way, a lot of times people think like, well, I mean, okay, I get this for adults and people that have big old jobs and they have a lot of extra money and they have disposable income and stuff like that. I'm in high school or I'm in middle school and I don't really have a job and I don't really have any way to get money. And I want to say to all of us of every age, it's not about how much you have and how much you give. It's the fact that you find out what it feels like to join in the adventure of cheerfully giving money to God by desecrating it and giving it away. There is a way for you, no matter how little it is, to have a cheerful experience of desecrating your money by giving it to the work of God. This is really cool. Um, I want to I read something to you. This is the end of 2 Corinthians 9. The Apostle Paul talks about four amazing things that happen when you give money away to the work of God. Are you ready for this? Listen for them. Here we go. This service that you perform, that's the giving of the money. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Okay, so real quick, and then I'm gonna be done. I'm gonna talk about how you could give money away to the work of Jesus, and it could be a cheerful, sweet adventure that just enriches your life. And by the way, desecrates money's desire to sit in the chair. Okay, just a few more minutes. Hang with me. Are we good? Okay, so this is what Paul says, the four things that happen. And by the way, if you give money to this church, if this is your church, and you give money here, the thing that I can promise you on behalf of our elders and our leadership is we're going to do a couple things with that money if you decide to generously give it to, to this place. We're going to keep this sweet little building together for as long as we possibly can. Amen. Built by the Marine Corps of Engineers in 1943 in about 12 hours. <laughs> We're going to keep this sweet old place together for as long as we can, okay? We're going to keep our staff in motion and, and working here, and then we, and, you know, we're going to keep the lights on, we're going to keep the heat on, we're going to buy some coffee and stuff like that so that you can drink coffee when you get here, and then we're going to give a whole bunch of it away. We're going to give it away. 
And we're going to send it right out the door to people who are sharing the love of Jesus, who are translating the scriptures into languages that hasn't been tra translated into yet, who are helping people at risk in so many different ways and in so many different parts of life. We're going to give it away to people who are doing the Lord's work, okay? So if you give your money here, that's what we're going to do with it. But here's what happens, okay? Paul said thing number one, you supply the saints, that's what you do. You supply the Lord's people. So whatever work is happening out there, this is so exciting. I've been waiting to tell you guys about this since Monday. I am literally, I have chill bumps, okay? This is so cool. If you give your money to somebody who is reaching somebody else for Jesus or doing some work for the Lord, you, right here in East Tennessee, you join their team wherever they are and you're an actual partner in their work. Now, if you're not excited about that, we need to talk about the gospel after this, okay? That's the most exciting thing in the world. Let me give you an example. If you give your money here to Triple C, you become a partner to a girl named Nakani Larutegi, okay? I don't expect you to be able to say that. But she is an evangelist in the Basque region of Northern Spain. Now, here's the thing. My guess is none of y'all have ever set foot in San Sebastián. Here's something I can guarantee. None of y'all speak the language they speak over there. It's called Euskadi. Nobody knows where it came from. No linguist in the world knows where this language came from. It's not a Romance language. It's not a Slavic language. It's not Germanic. They think, anthropologists think, that a bunch of Vikings wandered into Spain and thought, well, this weather's way better than what we were working with up there. Let's just stay. But they don't actually know. But Nekane, she knows it. She's indigenous. She grew up there. She is Euskadi. And when you, every single time Nakani sits down at a coffee shop with a high school girl who's hurting and she gives her hope and the message of Jesus and prays for her, guess who was there with them? Us! We're partners in that work. That's the most exciting thing in the world. You supply the saints and you li they literally couldn't do it without you. Wow. That's super cool. Okay, you supply the saints. You grow gratitude where there wasn't some gratitude in the world five minutes ago. Every time your check clears and they see that they can make it one more month, I guarantee you, they thank Jesus. Tyler Roberts, who was one of our missionaries that we sent out um, with Young Life in Murfreesboro, is in the room. You thank Jesus every time that check cleared, didn't you? And what a joy it was to support Tyler in that work. And I'm telling you, you literally, they just thank God. You grow gratitude where it wasn't blooming before. That's fantastic. Then this other thing happens where you promote praise of other people who are watching it. It's like other people watch that, you, that this person is there and they're supported. This happened in Tom's ministry. Some of you have heard the story maybe where they were in a Bible study one night. I might get some of the details wrong, brother, but so you can forgive me. But they were, they were studying these scriptures and all of a sudden it, it dawned on one of the ladies in the Bible studies. She was like, oh, wait a minute. This is why you guys came here, isn't it? And he's like, what? And she's like, this is why you moved your family to Italy. This is why you learned Italian, so that you could tell us the good news of Jesus. And he's like, yeah, yes, that's why we're here. And they sent you here, yes. Okay, so when you go back and see them, would you tell them it's working? You promote praise where praise wasn't. I can't believe how cool this is. Okay, now those three were really cool. You supply the saints, you grow gratitude, you promote praise. But here's the piece de resistance. Are you ready? You get to pick your prayer team. And if that's not the coolest thing you've ever heard of in your entire life, I don't know what to tell you. When Christy and I got married, we were, uh, we were seniors in college. And, um, and we were coming to Triple C and... Uh, you know, we were broke as a joke. I mean, we didn't have anything. And 
And, uh, and, at, and this missionary from India had come to, to speak, and our church had just started supporting him and everything. And he's in heaven now. His name's Victor Nandagam. And, um, and he was talking about how, he was talking about his work, and he was just going into these animistic villages who had never heard the name of Jesus ever before. And they were coming to know Jesus in droves. They would do baptisms of like 900 people at a time. And he said, okay, if you want to support a full-time indigenous missionary in India with my team, it will cost, their full-time support will be $64 a month. And Christy and I, adorable little broke newlyweds, were like, we're getting on that. We're going to do that. And so the, uh, Victor Nandagam was the third missionary we ever supported in our little, you know, since after we got married. And a few years later, oh gosh, this is so cool. A few years later, Victor was in the States visiting and he came to the church and, and he stopped me and Tom and he put his arms on both of our shoulders and he said, I want you to know, Tom, and I want you to know, Lee, that I and my team and my wife pray for you, Tom, and you, Lee, and your families and your work every single day. And I thought, man, I'm having a better day than I thought I was. <laughs> Teams of indigenous Indian missionaries are praying for us by name every single day. Paul said, when you support somebody, they start praying for you and their heart opens to you. So here's my question for you. As we desecrate money and consecrate God, put him on the chair and get, it, get money off the chair, who do you want to pray for you? What an exciting question. Who is doing some amazing work that you want to partner with and who do you want to pray for you? You get to pick. And if that's not the most exciting adventure ever, now I take you back. People always want to know about the percentage. How much should I give away? Uh, and, what, and what Paul says is, uh, look, each one should give what he's already decided in his own heart to give, not under compulsion, not reluctantly, because God loves a cheerful giver. Isn't that sweet? Let's do it, y'all. Let's pray. Amen. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for, thank you for this striking insight that we can't approach our money passively, that we have to see it for what it is, that it wants the chair. Give us the courage to be intentional, to get it off the chair of our hearts, to put you squarely where you belong, the only one who can answer the questions. And then let us have the joy of entering into the adventure of asking ourselves, whose work do I wanna partner with? And who do I want to pray for me? We love you and thank you for your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. i